you think about what we are trying to do, we are trying to actually um, get people to collaborate across organisational and professional boundaries at a pace and scale that we've never done before and creating the right culture, which is a permissive culture and a compassionate culture, to be able to let people do that with a, with, with, with a free and safe space, I think will be key to the success of, of integrated care systems. Hello and welcome everybody to episode two of our new podcast series focusing on the importance of fully inclusive, multi-professional clinical and care professional leadership. In today's episode, we're breaking down principles one and two of the five core design principles for effective clinical and care professional leadership. So that means we're going to be taking a spotlight on integrating decision making and creating culture of shared learning, collaboration and innovation. But before we get started, let's introduce our expert panel. I am Des Breen. I'm National Clinical Advisor for System Transformation with NHS England. Hello, I'm Rariette Nukade, and I work in North East London as Chief Pharmacist and Director of Medicines and Pharmacy. And I also have a role in the North Thames Genomic Medicine Service Alliance. My name is Gina Sargent. I'm the Chief Allied Health Professions Officer for NHSE in the South West and co-chair of the BSW AHP Council. Hello, I'm David Pearson. I'm a proud social worker by trade um, who became a director of adult social care with Nottinghamshire County Council and uh, a chair of the integrated care system in Nottinghamshire. And I'm currently system partnership advisor with the NHS. I'm Sakti Karunaniti, director of public health in Lancashire. I'm also one of the national advisors for system transformation for NHS England. I'm Dr Will Taylor, I'm a GP, but I'm also the Chief Medical Officer designate for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire ICS. So my name is Chris West, I'm Deputy Chief Nursing Officer for Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland Integrated Care Board. Widening the conversation to allow more diverse voices to be heard is something pivotal to effective clinical and care professional leadership. Raliat and Des explain why. There's two elements of diversity. There's that, that diversity of thought and the fact that we really need to bring different perspectives in, into play in order to really make sure that we make the right decisions. And there's also the, that the diversity of voice. And if we don't have the, uh, the different views of the different people who see what's going on with our patients and with our communities, and in, and in fact, with the systems that we've set up, if, um, if we really need to understand how people are experiencing that. And, and yeah, there's, there is a lot of evidence which shows that that diversity of views, of thought, of behaviours, of professional experience is really what brings the, the richness to decision making and therefore improves outcomes from, from a safety quality as well as, I suppose, a population health outcome perspective. If, if you think about what we're trying to do, we're really trying to integrate health and social care. And I always like to use cancer pathways as an example. So a cancer pathway goes all the way from prevention, like smoking, to screening, then to early detection. They will go through primary care. They will then go through some diagnostics procedures. 
into secondary care, possibly tertiary care, and that, that patient may end up in needing social care in the community or hospice care in the voluntary sector or some other support as 50% of their needs post-treatment are not uh, medically or clinically related. So that just gives you the complexity of a pathway and therefore you need the richness of all those clinical and care professionals along such a pathway to be able to redesign them and make them more effective for the patient, not one profession or not one person representing an aspect of society uh, to be able to address the needs of that patient journey. This legislation and this guidance gives us a great opportunity to really take clinical care professional leadership really to a level that it's not been to before in terms of its diversity and layered approach throughout the system. Gina reflects on her experience with system behaviours and shares with us how putting the person at the centre has worked when it comes to hospital discharge and patient flow. We've started to make inroads into this journey with Home First. So over the last few years, the really contentious area of hospital discharge and patient flow, working as a system and together as multi-professionals, we have started to really put the person at the beginning of that. When I think about some of the work that ESYST and Brian Dolan have done around P1s known as Pathway 1 or Home is Best, getting people home where they want to be, not where the system thinks they need to be, has been really quite revolutionary. And I think clinical and care professional leadership is absolutely taking more of that and doing that at scale. Learn to walk in one another's shoes and beginning to understand the perspective of different professionals is something that might hold the key to effective collaboration between system partners. Our expert panel shared their reflections on this point. When I've reflected a little bit on this areas for, for episode two, what really struck me was that we can't function as strangers. We can't do our job well as strangers that, you know, I think we talked about earlier about building um, a relationship, but we can't do that if we don't know one another. We did a bit of work where we looked at what patients were needed in the community and we actually took case studies through. And what we found was a good proportion of patients had access to one part of the community offer. So district nursing but actually would have benefited if they'd had social care embedded with that or mental health care embedded with that. But what we found was a lot of people didn't even know what other people were doing, what their roles and responsibilities were. And the other thing we found was that actually then created conflict because in a stress system, people tend to look inwards. That looking influence meant that actually there was a lot of conflict, people saying you aren't doing your job and you're not doing your job and that's why it's all falling apart. But by getting people to talk to each other, to understand each other's roles, to understand each other's stresses and pressures, we were actually able to create a much more joined up, a much more streamlined and a much better experience for the patient who actually got what they needed. If you get people together, people who use services with clinical and care professionals with a particular objective in mind, then very good things start to happen. And the feedback uh, about the difference it made to some people's lives was extraordinary. We all need to recognise, historically at least, the power dynamics between the groups and the hierarchical relationships between various professional groups uh, cannot be underestimated and overlooked. And certainly as we design the new system, that aspect of multi-professional leadership particularly needs attention if we don't create that environment where it's okay to have different perspectives and we need to appreciate the different power dynamics between the groups, then that's when I think we will start to see the progress. And I am heartened to actually say there is already a lot of examples of that happening 
particularly at a neighborhood level where there's a lot of initiatives that have focused on this sort of aspect by bringing together, say, housing professionals, voluntary organizations, care professionals, medical professionals, nursing professionals, all sorts of disciplines. But it is an important aspect we mustn't overlook in the excitement of multi-professional leadership. When it comes to dialogue, the way in which we use language is so important. Will shares his thoughts on this. And I think just coming back on that language thing, we all speak different languages. I, I just realised when I was talking before that I, I was talking about patients. And I'm sure Dave, from social care perspective, winced internally every time I've said patients, because actually a lot of what we're talking about is not patients. It, it, it's, it's, it's about citizens. And, and every time I talk to social care, I learn a little bit more about how I'm talking and how I actually I'm creating a silo by talking about patients. And it's it's that where we learn from each other, from learn from each other's perspectives and actually start learning that we all talk different languages and we need to start unifying that is, is so, so important. Getting the communication and dialogue right is key. However, one thing that can't be forgotten about is relationships and relationship building when it comes to building that culture of collaboration. Des, Raleigh and Chris share their thoughts. If you think about what we are trying to do, we are trying to actually um, get people to collaborate across organisational and professional boundaries at a pace and scale that we've never done before. And creating the right culture, which is a permissive culture and a compassionate culture, to be able to let people do that with a free and safe space, I think will be key to the success of, of integrated care systems. The fact that relationships make things happen. People feel open to their views. You get those different perspectives. Um, you, you create a safer system because people feel free to speak up. And you also manage to actually make things happen in a much quicker fashion because you've already got that, that, that pre-existing relationship to allow mistakes to happen. And so it's a question of incremental change. We've put this in place, we've changed this. And if you've got a good relationship, then that would hopefully almost come automatically. That ability to, to have that culture of improvement because you're happy to make mistakes, knowing that it's part of your journey of learning as opposed to something's gone wrong if a mistake has been made. It's not about telling someone to do it. You've got to walk the walk, the walk haven't you? You've got to demonstrate how you go about that. You've got to be able to be willing to um, make time to listen. You've got to be able to ask the questions. I actively go out of my way to see the, see the unspoken differences that enable me to have a conversation, to build relationships to not function as a stranger. Let's, let's, let's have a connection and let's have a conversation. Creating an environment where people feel safe to open up is a challenge that is currently being faced, as Sakti explains. However, as Sir David emphasises, there's no formula for all of this. This idea of relationship between professions and between people really mature, in my experience, when there is a genuine realisation that no single profession can actually meet the needs of um, the person or the people that we are here to serve. And to really achieve that genuine realization, we need to provide an environment, we need to create the space where people can feel that they can open up and understand that as single professions or people we don't have the solutions you know all the solutions within within our training for example 
And that requires that psychological safety to occur, as well as the time commitment that's needed. This doesn't happen when there is a hurry. So we really need to pay attention. And I, I think it's a genuine challenge we face as the systems develop. How are we at a time when there's more waiting lists, there's enough rush already and the demand's growing? We need to really pay attention to how we are going to protect the time and space so people feel safe to develop together uh, and nurtured for the sake of our people. Unfortunately, there isn't an algorithm or a formula for this where we can just pick something off the shelf, implement it, and it all works. But there are definitely things that we know from our own experience and indeed all the international evidence that make this work. First of all, to make sure that in integrated care systems we are building the voice of clinical and care participation into all of our structures. This is a lot about culture. It's also important that we build it in to our place-based partnerships, to our integrated care partnerships, as well as those pieces of work where we're actually saying, do we need to change something in order to build better population health and well-being or better population health management? And if so, how do we do it? And how do we galvanise the clinical and care professional leadership into that decision-making about what to change and how to implement it. I think there's definitely that structural element to it, but there is also no doubt that one of the things that the all the research tells us is that it is about building understanding, confidence and trust. And this is where we often say that the, the hard stuff is the softer stuff, in a way, the, the softer skills of, of relationship building and confidence and trust. If you've got all those those two components in place, you will make a huge difference to the people in your communities. I guarantee you. Des sums it up best when he says that in order to move forward, we need to look back. The further you look back, the further you can look forward. And we only have to look at you know, recent public inquiries, understand the reasons why things go wrong. And common themes throughout all these is poor culture and poor relationships. And, and a lack of a common purpose. And I think this is so crucial in integrated care systems going forward. And I agree with David, there's no blueprint for this, but we all the five principles there are designed to create the type of environment and culture to try and let good clinical and care professional leadership flourish. As Sir David said, there is no formula. So how do we make sure that integrated decision-making is inclusive of different voices? Gina and Raliat share their thoughts. This is not an advisory add-on. This really is, uh, as we said in the first podcast, really key to how we're going to make this change happen. And there is a lot of support out there, as as we've discussed today. This is tough. This is the hard stuff in the soft stuff. Um, But adding the framework and the structures and the meetings and, dare I say, even the dreaded terms of reference and ensuring that uh, clinical and care professional leadership is considered and embedded in those will ensure to make that happen because there is a risk. We're doing this at speed in a very still reactive system. So everyone does need to take that pause and ensure that their their structure does reflect clinical and care professional leadership and those principles. But we're building something new. We're doing things differently. And one of the things you always have to do really is build in that evaluation and stock take and measurements right from the beginning. Well, how will you know if you've made a difference? How will you know if you've had a, made an impact? According to Chris, there's still room for personal development for all. I go back to some of the things we said before. I think language is really key here. You know, I think we need to, just as we are today, making sure that we don't start to use too many acronyms because they might make sense to a few of us, but not necessarily all of us. There's room to not just understand what we do, 
but understand the specialty expert piece. Our expert panel touched upon that culture of collaboration throughout today's episode, which brings up the question of how will integrated working help with the aims of integrated care systems? There is a hunger for, for collaboration, but it's also got to be meaningful. There's one one aspect of uh, principles one and two we haven't touched on, uh, and the word we use in the guidance is permeate. And what we mean is at all levels of the system. As an example, a chief nurse or a chief medical officer sitting at an ICB won't be able to redesign cancer pathways. But if they use the clinical leadership in the cancer alliance of a clinical director who may have up to 15 clinical leads working on different tumour sites, and those clinical leads will be working with 15 to 20 multiple, multiple clinical and care professional leaders redesigning services, That's what we mean by actually getting as close to the patient as possible with people being involved and redesigning the services of the experts and and, and the people close to the patient who know what those services are about. If we take that sort of example and model and be able to think about that throughout everything we do in an integrated care system, I think think we'll, we'll make real progress. We've covered a lot in today's episode. That's why Sir David is giving us his key takeaways. Des has hit on an important point about redesigning services in the way that they are delivered and how important it is to engage and have clinical and care professionals at the leading edge of that development. The whole raison d'etre of integrated care system is to improve with the population and with the workforce the health and well-being of the population and that population health management approach, understanding the next risk that people will face to their independence, control, the quality of their lives and trying to avert them as much as possible. Those are simply stated some key objectives of integrated care systems. And therefore, actually doing that together is going to be critical to delivery of that objective. We do two things. We create the culture that we've described and people have given examples of, but we embed it at every level in an inclusive way. It's a critical part of uh, integrated care system journey. And that's it. Thank you so much to our expert panel and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next time for episode three of the podcast series where we'll be discussing principle three of the guidance, which focuses on appropriate resources to achieving our aims. Thanks for listening. Take care.